Welcome to the Alcove. Tonight our guest is Diane Solomon. Bienvenue dans l'Alcove. Ce soir, nous recevons Diane Solomon. Merci Elsa, merci Geneviève, c'est vraiment un, un super endroit. Je vais faire un switch maintenant à l'anglais. L'entrevue va se passer en anglais, mais pour la période de, de questions, vous pouvez toujours poser vos questions en français ou en anglais. So, good evening everyone. Welcome to our second alcove of the third season. We're really excited to have such a huge group tonight. Um, for those of you joining us for the first time, a very warm welcome. And for those of you who've developed a love affair with alcove, Thank you for coming back, and it's really great to have you. Tonight is definitely a milestone for us. Elsa mentioned it earlier. It was the alcove that sold out the most quickly. Diane doesn't believe it <laughs> and doesn't understand why. Uh, but in a matter of days, we were out, and we had to release more tickets because there was just a big demand for this lovely lady here. <laughs> So uh, I think this audience is a testament of the person that you are and uh, the charisma that you have. So we're excited to have you here tonight. For those of you who know Diane, you've probably seen her chatting with patrons just down the street at Olive and Gourmandou. She is by no means a celebrity chef in the traditional sense. She even puts it, I never saw myself as a glam resto chef. I was quite happy being a labor girl. <laughs> Yet she is a prominent Montreal figure and everybody knows her, loves her, and wants to know what she'll do next. So Diane, thank you for being here with us tonight. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so like honored and a bit shy. I'll warm up, don't worry. So <laughs> that's, knows me knows I'll warm up. That's right a great like, segue <laughs> to warm you up. We're gonna start with a round of uh, fire questions, 20 questions. Okay. Answer with the first thing that comes to mind, okay. and then we'll get to the interview. Okay. What did you have for dinner last night? Uh, lamb meatballs that had barberries and pine nuts and all kinds of yummy things in them with a yogurt sauce, fresh dill, spiced rice, and a salad. Fantastic. <laughs> so I whipped up. Um, you made that? Yeah. Fantastic. I'm glad it wasn't grabbed. I promise you she didn't know I was going to ask that question. <laughs> Favorite kitchen equipment or gadget? Mandolin. Best piece of advice you would give a home cook? Mm, read a recipe, but not like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Who in the food world do you most admire? Alice Waters. What do you think is the most challenging ingredient to work with? Mm, that's hard for me. Meat. <laughs> <Are> there, <laughs> I don't eat a lot of meat. <laughs> are there any foods that you just don't like? Yeah, quivering eggs. Runny eggs. Yeah, Gross. white and white desserts. <laughs> Just white. No, yeah, okay. White desserts. <laughs> what is going to be the next big thing in the food world? Mm. Uh, the next big thing will be the things that have been normal things for a long time. I think the return to real food. More and more and more and more. Um, the famous cliche, what would you have was your last meal question? Probably a Fairmount bagel, double smoked lox, red onion caper, squeeze of lemon juice, dill, a Liberty cream cheese. Specific. Toasted bagel. <laughs> Sesame bagel. Sesame, not puppy. Okay. Uh, most embarrassing cooking moment? Oh, the first day of Olive and Gourmando. 
We made a hundred beautiful baguettes and they had triple the amount of salt in them. <laughs> and we sold them all. They looked amazing because the more salt in a bread, the more beautiful the color. They were all like bubbly and gorgeous and we were like, oh my God, like our first day, the baguettes are amazing. We sold them like a hundred to our potential new customers. And at the end of the day, I bit one and it was like biting into the ocean. It was disgusting. <laughs> and we were just like, oh my God. And the next day, only one person came in. That's it. One woman out of all the hundred of people. And she said, I'm so happy you're here. You know, we have nobody in old Montreal, but... I just, I have to tell you, the baguette was like disgusting, whatever. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. I was like, I'm so glad that you came back. And she was like, did everyone come back? I was like, no, just you. So lesson learned. People will not tell you when things suck. They'll just disappear on you. They just won't come back. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, food trend you can't stand? Squirt and dot food. I'm sorry? What? Squirt and dot food. Oh. <laughs> That's not a meal. Uh, Got it. Uh, fa <laughs> famous person that you would like to cook for? Um, my God, so many famous people I would love to cook. Meryl Streep. Okay. Mm -hmm. If that ever happens, please let us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you left Montreal to cook somewhere else, where would you go? In an ideal world, like, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be, like, murdered or killed or anything. Totally. Mexico. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like, I mean, if I could, if yeah. it was realistic, yeah, I would. Uh, is plating important to you? Yes. Yeah. Dish on the menu at Olive that you eat the most? Mm, the salad 24. Uh, in your restaurant, who would be your ideal diner? A chef that I loved, like any chef who, who, who I really admired, that would make me very excited. What's the worst meal you've ever prepared? I've ever prepared? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the lamb meatballs with the pine nuts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were yummy. Oh, uh, God, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, I've made some, like, weird soups. At, no. at the restaurant or like for yourself? You guys have all eaten them. <laughs> 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 just like put a lot of stuff on top and hope for the best. No, like just, you know, yeah, at my restaurant, like where I've like thought something's going to be amazing. An eggplant one in particular, I can remember where it was just like kept adding, kept adding. There was no It wasn't it was getting like, better. <laughs> Did you serve it? No, no, no. We okay. just put it into the little graveyard. <laughs> uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. Is that actually a thing? It's definitely a thing. Yeah. Uh, naming restaurants after your cat <laughs> and your dog. So for those of you who don't know, Olivia Gourmandu, her cats, Foxy, her dog. Very tacky, I know. It's not. It's amazing. <laughs> um, if you were to open a third restaurant tomorrow, what would you call it? Um, I, I would not name it after a cat or a dog. I, I don't know what I would call it but I would just find another name Something I moved on. The cat and the dog thing, the cats was because we really just didn't, we didn't have a name, it was like a panic moment. We were opening, we just sort of, we looked at our cats, they were fat, and we were like, <laughs> there was two of them, there was Eric and I, we were like, it works, it made no sense. And then Eric uh, really wanted to name Foxy after Foxy, because that's like his, the love of his life. And, and plus, we thought it was kind of funny because we were like, well, we should just keep going with this, but it's done. It's like, <laughs> it's done now. Yeah, yeah. The ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, your favorite food memory? Uh, 
going to buy bagels with my dad when I was a kid at Fairmount. Wow. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to dive in? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be nice, I promise. Okay. Um, so I want to start off by saying that you actually are a true pioneer. Uh, you started in an industry that was filled with men, mm -hmm. and you set up shop in what was pretty much a ghost town. Mm -hmm. um, and you turned that into a very successful and lucrative career. Mm -hmm. um, today you're regarded as a chef, an entrepreneur, a social agent. Your two restaurants, Olivier Gourmandou and Foxy, are revered by critics and patrons alike. But let's take it back to when you actually started in this whole industry. So you come from a family that's extremely focused on academics, mm -hmm. and you did a bachelor's and a master's in English Lit. Mm -hmm. um, what got you into the food world? Was it kind of a culmination of lots of things, or you had a moment where you said, this is what I have to do? Um, well, there were some moments, but my mom, I mean, my mother was like a, a a single mom. I mean, my parents were divorced. She was a working mom. She was a doctor, and we did a lot of, you know, foraging in the fridge and surviving on our own. <laughs> Back when it was legal to leave your children alone, the <laughs> 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 latchkey kids—that was the thing from my generation. Um, so I was always like, you know, I would eat weird things like sautéed mushrooms on toast after school. Like I remember that watching like Gilligan's Island and having sautéed mushrooms on toast. So I, I was really into cooking at a young age, and then I think I really wanted a job. I remember wanting my own money. I was sort of obsessed with having my own candy uh, and my own clothes. Um, so I, my mom got me a job at a restaurant, a friend of hers, the turn, that was a beautiful restaurant, and I was 15. And um, Was this in Montreal? No, in or? Kingston, Ontario. Okay. And it was like I would mop the floor, take the bus home, and then come back and do a little bit of lunch prep, and then take the bus home. And it was like really weird, like terrible. Now that I think about it, like probably illegal, I'm not sure. But <laughs> Once again. <laughs> but, you know, it was okay then. And I just fell in love with everything. The restaurant, I, I was already in love with cooking, but I really fell in love with restaurants. Like okay. with the people that worked there, with the, the feeling, everything. I loved it. So I was just hooked. It was done. That was it. Was and so... Back. One of your first jobs, you know, you're saying that you wanted to have money, you wanted to buy your own things. Mm -hmm. You created a catering company. Mm -hmm. So this was in high school. No, the catering company was when I was in my first year of McGill. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you decided to do this, which is both entrepreneurial and creative to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Um, what were the challenges of starting that company when you were you're in the middle of studying? I didn't, it's funny, I, I didn't, I never would have called it a company. Had I have called it a company, I probably wouldn't have started it. Like, yeah. Instead, it was just sort of like shopping and cooking and then jumping in a cab and then, oops, I'm cooking, you know, there's 20 or 30 people there and I'm making food. Like, I don't think I okay. ever really put it into such a nice entrepreneurial box. Mm -hmm. That probably would have scared me. I think I just kept sort of finding that I could do this and people were willing to pay me for it. But it was very like bric-a-brac, you know, I mean, like. I was studying, and I mean, I, I can't even remember. But I, my dad would like hook me up with some of his very fancy friends, and I would. I remember taking a taxi like to the summit, you know, like <laughs> the wind blows and there's nobody up there. I get out with my bags and like cater for these people that now I think I would be afraid to cater for these people, which is interesting. Really? That then I was like, oh yeah, whatever, that's okay, you know, poaching whole fishes and I don't even remember just kind of crazy things, but. I think partly just like not really thinking about what I was doing, just sort of rolling with it, which, which was really great. How long did this last for? Uh, my entire studies. Hmm. Like 
all through my BA and my master's. As I told you for my master's, I was I was cooking for my thesis advisor mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's actually a great point. You you know after doing all that, you decided to enroll in culinary school in Vermont, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you credit that as being the best decision that you ever made mm -hmm. um, because you had this hang up that it wasn't an acceptable profession. Mm -hmm. um, you know what kind of brought you to that point? I think that your your thesis director had a lot of. Um, playing that. He, I mean, it was great because I was I was catering a lot for his book launchings, which was amazing. Mm. And so he really saw how passionate I was. He kept hiring me. He kept encouraging me. I was handing in papers late, but then he couldn't really be mad at me. And we had you were catering like his event. Funny or? little exchanges. Um, and then one day he just said, "You know, I really feel like you you should pursue this as a career." And it was like the first time that somebody had ever said anything like that to mm. me. And I just, I don't know, I was just like, of course, like, yes, what have I been doing all this time? And it was like a very quick, like, I'm out of here, and I, like, literally, like, whoosh, just went and applied and ran away. Do you think that the fact that he kind of represented everything that your family stood for, mm -hmm. telling you to do something different was kind of what you needed? It definitely helped. Like, it was like having a sort of permission from mm -hmm. something, from someone who came from that kind of world, because I really liked... Like the part that I still like about the restaurant business is I like to get like, you know, down and dirty. Like I mm -hmm. like, if I'm at someone's house, I find myself in the kitchen. I want to, if I'm at a fancy house, I want to talk to the servants. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at a friend in the audience and I was on a very fancy boat once and nobody could find me. And I was like down in the dungeon with hanging out in the mini kitchen with everybody. Cause like that's, I always felt more comfortable there. So mm -hmm. I just sort of, um, I think I just needed one mini, mini piece of permission. And then my mind just went, okay, I'm done, I'm done with it. This is really much more who I am. So what was that experience like going to culinary school in Vermont? It was really fun, except I was a lot older than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I was in the States, and I was like 27, I guess. And everybody there was like 18. Like, they would send me to get beer and stuff. I was like, oh, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but and I was a very serious student. That was kind of cool to be like, I, I think like a lot of the kids that were there were sort of like, yeah, into it, not really. But I was so focused and so into it. So it was a beautiful experience for me. I was really, I just, I was really in the right place for me at that moment. So it was great. And where did you go from there? I did two stages. My first one was at Tokay. Um, and that lasted six months, and that was a great experience. And then I went back to school, and then after that I went to Boston. And I worked for a really incredible female chef, and I think that was a really, a really um, important moment for me. I met her, she was young. She was named as, um, in Bon Appetit, like young sort of rising star chefs of mm -hmm. that year, and we clicked like right away and I worked in her kitchen and, and I just remember that changed something for me too, to like see her in charge the way she was, but also she was so kind, she was so funny and it just sort of, I just thought I can, I can do this, like I can, you know, survive this industry because it's not an obvious industry to mm -hmm. me. For sure. Yeah. Do you still talk to her? Yeah, I still, she's actually, it's funny, she moved to Toronto. She didn't want her kids to grow up in the States anymore and she moved to Toronto, she opened up uh, she has some very successful restaurants there. They're like Cuban restaurants. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about opening Olive because mm -hmm. that was such a pivotal moment in your life. Um, it was really risky. You know, like I don't know if you guys realize what old Montreal was <laughs> like 20 years ago. 
but it was absolutely just... It was empty. Empty. Yeah. And you have this really cute story about finding <laughs> the actual location, which I think everyone should hear. Well, like, from that corner to McGill was empty. There was not one single business on the street. Most of these places were boarded up, and there was, like, a weird, like, sailor bar or something. That, <laughs> there, that, actually, I think it might have been in this space, or maybe the space over there, that went all the way through, but that had been, like, closed. But when we first came down, it was kind of like a very strange bar, like, sketchy, sketchy. And everything was empty. Like, our space had been empty for 10 years. That's crazy. Um, and Eric and I were, like, wandering down the street, sort of saying, like, we could have this one. We could take this one. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> we looked at Leeds and space, and we are like, I don't know. <laughs> like the most beautiful space in the world. But anyway, so we we were wandering around, and our landlord, this older man, came running out and chased us down the street. And he was like, are you looking for a space? And we were like, yeah. And he's like, well, come see mine. And I was just like, okay. Like, thinking this is how it goes in life when you look for spaces. And then we went into his space, and it had been empty for 10 years. Do you remember what your rent was? Crazy. That was like $1,200 a month. <laughs> what is and it we now? were like, this is expensive. Yeah. You know? Now it's like almost $12,000 a month. And that's still cheap for old Montreal. Yeah. Like, well, because we you've been there for again. so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it like, still the same guy? Yeah, yeah. He, he's very, very, very old. I don't actually know how old he is. <laughs> he's like in his late 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was driving not so long ago. That's scary. <laughs> but, anyway, um, but his kids kind of run the building. But he pops in every so often. He used to, like, come in through our kitchen and, like, just stare and stand around. Like, he was very proud, I think. he was. And also felt like it was kind of his place. His place. And, and he always felt really, like, he was proud of us. He was cute. He used to come and sit in the restaurant and just, like, look around. <laughs> we were like, oh, okay. That's Mr. amazing. Mr. Nado. Yeah. So you obviously took a huge risk to set up shop here, but yeah. there's another facet to, you know, starting Olive and Gourmando, you were doing this with your partner at yeah. the time, yeah. your boyfriend. Yeah. Which, which part was scarier to you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we were young and dumb, which is like, you know, the thing that's the perfect recipe for opening yeah. a business. Because in a way, you don't analyze things too much. I definitely analyze things more than him. He was just kind of like, he's a business person through and through. He, he, when he was a kid, he worked in a depreneur. He was like, I'm going to own a depreneur. I'm going to like sell videos. I'm going to, you know, like he just, he just wanted a business. And I didn't necessarily want a business. Like I was a chef, but I didn't know if I was ready for that. And he was like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to open. You're mm -hmm. going to come. We're going to, and I was sort of like, Okay, um, I didn't really sort of ponder the fact mm. that we were a couple and that that could end badly. It was more that I thought, you know, I was more practical. I was sort of like, you know, who are you and I barely know you and how are we going to... How long have you know, been together? We'd only been together like six months. And and he didn't speak English and I didn't speak French. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is why we liked each other for so long. And then we learned how to speak each other's language. And, and you're like, mm -mm, no. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> how has Alive evolved in the last 20 years? What's been your philosophy with that place? Um, some things have not evolved. Like I think our commitment to quality has not changed um, and even though like things are so expensive and it kind of it makes me really afraid actually because food is so expensive that I'm kind of terrified like when an avocado costs two dollars 
and you want to make a sandwich with that. Mm. I mean, if you do food costs, which you have to, otherwise you wouldn't be in business anymore. It's like you haven't even done anything to the sandwich, and your sandwich is already like, you know, six, seven dollars, but you haven't, that doesn't include the labor, the mm -hmm. rent, nothing, nothing, nothing. So it's kind of, it's very hard to sort of maintain that um, commitment to quality for real. Like, I mean, the only way, unless, Seeing it, opening a, a restaurant at night has been an interesting thing because you can charge appropriately. I mean, it means things are very mm -hmm. expensive, but you can sort of say like this and this costs that, plus we have to mark it up because of this. Okay, but it, you know, if you call something a sandwich, people don't want to pay for it. Like the minute you put things between two pieces of bread, I'm always like, <laughs> pretend that bread wasn't there. If it was a pasta dish, we it's could so charge true. you $20. And you'd be like, that's wonderful. And then we put shrimp and crab and all that, but on a piece of toast, yeah. we're like, C'est bien trop cher. I'm like, no, it's not trop cher. So, like, that's, like, my worst nightmare, kind of, because I have to fight constantly with Eric. Like, he's really, he, of course, he wants to keep the quality, but he's also, like, I am not, this is not a charity. Like, I'm not doing this yeah. to just give shit away. So, we have this constant struggle. So, that has not evolved. And then after that, what's evolved is that we've just gone from being, like, you know, a bakery to, like, a full-fledged daytime restaurant. Mm. which was not what we were supposed to be when we first opened. That's now open seven days. Seven days is another nice little evolution, yeah. How long has that been going on? Almost two years now. Okay. Yeah. So, but you've always kept kind of that, never wanted to change the menu, really always wanted no. to keep the consistency. Wanted to keep, like, the idea being that it's, like, lunch-type food, like, really comforting lunch-type food, but, um, yeah, Lux kind of lunch-type food, but mm -hmm. for real, you know? Not calling it deluxe and it not being deluxe. Like we make everything in house, everything, our cheese, our bread, our like it's psycho. We're crazy, <laughs> but that's what makes it good. Did you ever have a moment in this process where you felt like this was a huge mistake? Like, yeah, yeah lots of moments in the process. Anything you want to share? <sighs> like the time I slammed the door on the walk-in fridge and I burst the light bulb because I was having a fight with Eric. Maybe that time? No, um, it was like, and it was like, I was like, oh my God. Like, there's been so many moments in that business that are, you're, it's so stressful. You have so many employees, so many employees that come and go, so many employees that stay, that become part of your family. How many employees, like, at one time, like, right now? We are 100 between the two restaurants. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Did you have to invest a lot of your money in the beginning to get it off the ground? Yeah, all of our money. All we had it. no money, but we invested the little money we had. How long till you started to turn a profit and like feel a little bit more calm? Um, if that ever happened. Yeah, I don't know about turning a profit in the restaurant industry. That doesn't come until much later. Uh, I would say like after the sixth or seventh year, we started to feel more like, you That's know. It's a huge commitment. Yeah. I think people are very impatient in this business. There are ways to make money fast. If, I mean, if you sell a lot of alcohol, mm -hmm. um, if you are grinder, restaurant grinder, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like that's a, a bar, like kind of restaurant type scenario. Yeah. Like, those kinds of places, for sure, they're they're earning money. But I mean, real small restaurants where the access is actually on food, um, if you were to actually look at the stats, it's pretty shocking. There's not a lot of money to be made in that industry. You really have to be smart and on the ball and be checking stuff all the time. It's, you know, you're, you're the main thing that you work with is it's perishable. Mm. 
So it's not like here, like, I mean, I, I, you have to move your product, but this cushion's not going to rot, you know? It might go out of style, yeah. <laughs> but it's not going to, like, you know? Whereas we're like, if someone doesn't buy this by tomorrow, like, we can't sell it, and then voila, you've just lost it. You've lost all the, the work that went into it. Mm. I mean, all the energy it took to keep it in the fridge, all the transformation of cooking it and peeling it and bubbling it and whatever, you know, like, it's, so it's, it's intense. It's, wow. uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of women, women in this industry, women, that role that it's played in your life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you did a minor in women's studies. Mm -hmm. Your mother was a full-bred femi like feminist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like it's been a reoccurring theme in your life and in your career. When you finally decided to open Foxy, you hired a female chef. Mm -hmm. um, was it a conscious decision to try to incorporate and empower women, or did you just feel like you were hiring the best person for the job and that's who it was? Probably both. Um, I can't say that I like have made conscious, conscious decisions to employ women necessarily. I think, um, I tend to think women are very good mm -hmm. um, in almost everything they do. <laughs> um, I think women make incredible employees and now after you know uh, having been a boss for 20 years and I can actually say that I'm I think I'm a bit sexist but like reverse sexist I, I actually think women are like I really love working with women I love their commitment I like I like the way that they're meticulous I like the way they get emotionally involved in what they do I, I like all those things it's about a very double-edged sword though yeah, I don't mind. Like, people will be like, yeah, that's drama, that's just whatever. I'm, I'm fine with all that. I kind of love all that. I, I don't have a problem with that. So maybe partly it's because I'm very comfortable working with women that mm -hmm. I just sort of naturally find myself surrounded by women who probably feel the same. But I can't say that I set out to hire women necessarily. Um, if you look at the industry, though, there's a mm -hmm. huge disproportion of, of women and men um, in kitchen. And you've said it's a unique thing to survive and to thrive as a woman in this industry. Yeah. Um, what if some of, you know, you had the pleasure of working with a lot of women uh, when you started your career. What have been some of those experiences that may have been a little bit more negative for you um, as a woman? You mean wor working with women? Or, just, or just as, as a, a woman? woman in the restaurant mm -hmm. industry. Well, I mean... From the very obvious of having to deal with, uh, uh, you know, almost harassment. Mm -hmm. There's been, at Toke when I were, there was a lot of, you know, innuendo, intimidation, uh, a lot of very aggressive moments, um, being belittled, being, um, you know, treated like you can't possibly understand or you can't possibly lift that or you couldn't really know or you're not tough enough or, you know, all these kind of ridiculous things. So like meanwhile, women give birth. I just want to point that out. But anyway, <laughs> but we're not tough enough to, to stir with the whisk. I'm like, hello. I think when you look at maybe TV shows and kind of what's portrayed as like the successful chef is mm -hmm. also like he's also super demeaning. And yeah. And I think some people may believe that to be just a cliche, mm -hmm. but you're basically saying that that is the reality. That's not a cliche. That's definitely the way it was in particular, I would say. Like the brigade mentality, that sort of army-like mentality was a very dominant way to run a kitchen for years, maybe almost 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, but it's changing now, for sure. You will still find lots of restaurants that are run like that. I think that there's this idea that in in order to be good in this industry, you have to 
suffer, make somebody else suffer, and then you sort of come up through the ranks, and if you survive that, then you're a real chef, or you're, you mm -hmm. know, it's, all, it's like, you know, the more war wounds you have, the better. It's like all these kind of ridiculous things. So it's really, it's deep in the psyche of a lot of people who enter into this field. So it's, you know, the person who's your mentor is going to be like that, and then the person you work mm -hmm. beside is going to be like that. So it's, people have to break that chain, I think, and they are. Men and women are breaking that chain. Things are definitely changing right now in particular. The reality of, of working in a restaurant is just so different from any other job in that it's <laughs> yeah. all the time. Your, your schedule is the opposite of everyone else. Yeah. Um, That's true. You know, if you're trying to empower women in, in this industry, how do you find that balance? Like, can women be successful chefs and have a family? And, you know, have a family life that's as much a part of their life as their work? I've, I mean, I've had a few good role models. The woman that I worked for in Boston has two children. She does have pretty much a house husband, though, I would like to point mm -hmm. out. Um, I think it is possible, but I think it falls on, on restaurateurs to sort of, yeah, make some space for that. And we're actually in, we are testing that right now because my chef at Foxy Lee and my sous chef at Foxy, Vanessa, are both right now on mat leave. So I am actually, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Taking applications. <laughs> yeah. Any chef? Um, so we're trying that out because we, they want to come back. I've worked with Vanessa for like 13 years. She was the chef at Olive and now she's a sous chef at Foxy. Um, Lee is incredible. They want to come back. For sure they want to come back in some other way. They're not mm. going to come back and work, you know, in the night, in the kind of right. hours that they did. But like... We really want to work it out because I think that, I mean, I, for me as having employees that have stayed for so many years, we have a lot of employees that we work with for a long time. Mm -hmm. The benefit of, of creating those kinds of relationships with your employees, it outweighs the fact that, you know, their schedule is a little bit more complicated or whatever. Like for me, it's totally worth it mm -hmm. to try and figure it out, but it's not easy. It would be much easier to work with someone who wasn't going to go and get pregnant, I mean, for sure. But even you made that decision mm -hmm. that, you know, you we told me that kids. you weren't going to have any kids and that your kids were kind of your restaurants and your employees, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that just wasn't something that you were going to do. Yeah, 100 kids. Um, yeah, and partly, though, I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't like, you know, I didn't really want children. I wasn't mm -hmm. one of those women who was like, I absolutely have to have children. So maybe that makes me strange. But, well, a little bit. But I think that, um, you know, like Lee was really clear. Like even when I met her, she was like, I'm not ready right now. That happened faster than she wanted. But she was like, of course I want to have children. And you know, like it was, it was mm -hmm. something that was really clear to her. And what I thought was really interesting is she's a lot younger than me. But like for her, she just didn't see that as an obstacle. She was like, I'm going to have my career and I'm going to have a kid, mm. you know, and I'm going to make this happen. And it also takes women like that too, you know, like she's just like, no, this is my right and I'm, I'm going to have this. Absolutely. And so it's great in a way because she's like that and I'm like this and I think together we'll be able to make it work. So I'm gonna try. we're going to try. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, Montreal. Yeah. As an Anglophone from mm -hmm. Ontario. Yeah. Was that really hard? I, I, I mean, you didn't even speak French when you first got here. No, no, no. That was, yeah. What kind of Well, I challenge? went to McGill, and McGill is like a little enclave of Anglophones running around. Yeah. 
um, in a bubble. And then I worked at Tokay, and of course, nobody spoke English. Everybody was very Frenchy French there. And uh, it was hard. It was really hard. But it was cool. I mean, I speak French. We're not going to practice that out now because <laughs> it's not the best French in the world, but it's okay. And I think, you know, for me, like, I, Montreal opened up to me, you know, like, I, mm -hmm. I knew one part of Montreal, and then when you start to speak French, it's like, oh, and now I know Montreal. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful for that, you know, learning a second language has been amazing. And for the most part, I think Quebec's been really kind and generous with me. I mean, there's been a few crackpots along the way. I have some psycho stories about Bill 101ers and lunatics who've come in and yelled at me at Olive. But aside from that, I mean, everything's <laughs> written in French. I speak to them in my craggly French, and we go about Frenching our way through the day. But some people, it's just not good enough. <laughs> Is it Olive et Gourmando? Yeah. <laughs> so you, do you work for somebody? No, that no. no. <laughs> You're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> That was the whole point of this thing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you talk about the fact that, you know, you've become Olive et Gourmandou, mm -hmm. yeah. um, is really just a, a spot that tourists can't miss. They have to go. They're in old Montreal. They have to go, um, you know, eat a sandwich, a $14 sandwich at yeah, a restaurant. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what do you think, you know, you say that they're looking for, tourists are looking for that, that sense of, authenticity. What is it that you think you bring to the table um, that contributes to that? Um, I, it's hard for me to put my finger on it, but I've always said that I think, I think not just a tourist, but anybody knows when you walk in a place when it's authentic. Like I think we, I think people underestimate people's capacity to know when something's real and when mm. it's not. And so, you know, that's why like concepts and nee, nee, nee. it's like people are out there doing that and I'm sort of like yeah but everyone knows it's fake we all know and I mean in in many cases I think people just sort of you know they'll accept that because it's convenient or whatever but for, we seek authentic things you know mm -hmm. not just with food but with all experiences I mean I think if you look around you can see people doing that all the time like seeking out authentic connections experiences And I feel like when people walk into a restaurant, they know if it's a real restaurant with like real people working there, uh, making a real effort, if there's like love in the food, uh, love in the environment, love in the music. Like I think people know that. They can just sniff it out. Does it come down to a real passion for what you're doing? I think there has to definitely be passion there. There has to be love there. Continuous like, you know, love and engagement from the owner who has to be constantly like checking in on their organic living beast, I mean, because that's mm -hmm. what a restaurant is, right? So, like, you can tell the ones that are just, like, you know, the people who've, like, put up the restaurant kind of for, like, shady adoption and the ones that are actually still, you know, intact and involved with their restaurant. Like, I think you can tell it all of that we're involved in our restaurant. What do you think are some of the places in Montreal that you feel are really authentic? Really authentic, Rice? Um, well, for sure, the whole Joe Beef Empire is very authentic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've known them forever, and, you know, they are special guys, but um, they are definitely... <laughs> <laughs> We won't go into <laughs> But um, I, I worked with Fred for years. But I think uh, you can tell, like, they're, it's, that's their creation, that's their idea, they're constantly involved in it, they hire people who are passionate, who are there, contributing... Um, it's unique. There's, you know, there's love. There's creativity. There's all these mm. things, and 
and you, we know it's a real restaurant. We know it's an authentic space and place. You know? It's funny because all the things that you're mentioning, yes, it works for restaurant, but that's mm -hmm. also for anything that you do. I think for I think that's it's totally for universal. All things, yeah. yeah. Um, you opened Foxy 15 years after opening. More than even I think was it 17? Yeah, maybe <coughs> just two and a half years ago. So, yeah, maybe like 17 years ago. Yikes! After 17 years of being in business. You know, when you had first started Olive, um, you did have another venture that you did mm -hmm. in the beginning mm -hmm. called Cube, which was in the St. Paul Hotel. So 90s. Like, look <laughs> 90s, feel 90s. And it was, you said it was a success, but you guys kind of went in there, you did the matchmaking of, of the two guys, and then yeah. you took a step back and said, we don't want to really be a part of this. Yeah. Um, what made you revisit? Opening up something else? Yeah. I give all the credit to my business partner. Um, he has wanted other businesses since the get-go. Mm. I am sort of was the one who was always like, no, I don't want it. No, it won't be good. No, we won't be able to be involved in it. I can't spread myself that thin, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then when we actually broke up, I think that was the moment that we stayed really close and as we are really good business partners, but I think it was kind of like I didn't have to protect our couple anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, if you want to, like, you know, do this, I won't have to spend all my weekends and my nights talking about all the nightmares of our 100 employees. Like, so now, in a way, it's kind of like I, we broke up, and I was like, I think I can do this with you, like, because it's not going to just encroach on us so much. So I realized that I was really protecting our space. Um, but, but still, he's the one who really pushed for it. Because like, for all really those did. years, you know, you were working and living with a partner, mm -hmm. everything must have been about the restaurant. It was, and for me that was kind of like, that was enough, you know what I mean? So then I, the thought of putting even more into that, I was like, oh my God, how will not. we survive yeah. this? Like we can barely, you know, it's just like all consuming. Like I just didn't even, I couldn't imagine how we would possibly be able to do it. <laughs> um, are you happy that you did it? I am really happy that I did it. I love Foxy. I'm very proud of it. Um, I love the people that work there. I love that it sort of feels a bit like us a bit more growing up, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that, I mean, I, I say yes, but I don't know that, <laughs> that Olive Igormando is doesn't feel grown up. To us, it feels not growing up. It's like, it I think, like I, I mean, I don't know if you guys would agree, but it's like, it's it's an establishment in Montreal. It's not, doesn't seem like you're just kind of trying to figure it out and like, I guess, but I think for us that is still, it'll always be a little bit that because it represents, you know what I mean? Like it still feels like You that. grew up with the restaurant. Yeah, kind of. Like going back to your your mom's house and your bedroom, this is the same posters yeah. on the wall or something. It's kind <laughs> of that place for me. And so Foxy's been really nice in that sense. Like I walk in there and I'm like, yes, aha. I'm an so adult. <laughs> na, na, na. You know what I mean? It's not like all broken and whatever. And I like that because all of his very, uh, don't look too close kind of thing. I'm like, eh, in and out, in and out. Like, you know it's what I mean? It's part of the charm. It's part of the charm, kind of, yeah. Um, but you really, you grew up with Olive in a certain yeah, way. It helped definitely. kind of define who you were as a business person, as a chef. As, For sure. Um, and you've been really lucky to have a lot of success. But, mm -hmm. you know, things change. What, how would you feel if it had to close? Do you feel like part of your identity would just go with it? Yeah, I wouldn't be ready to close it right now. I would be sad, for sure, yeah. I, um, you and everybody else in yeah. this room. <laughs> I mean, I know we'll have to, you know, put it to sleep at some point. I mean, you know, I don't know. 
I mean, <laughs> she's like, should I? Should I not? <laughs> should I put it to sleep soon? No, but I sort of feel like it, you know, I think there's another good 10, 15, maybe even 20 years in that olive, but I, my identity is totally in that place. I mean, I just can't even imagine um, not having olive. Yeah, it would be hard. Mm. It would be devastating, actually. <laughs> Do you think I'm a workaholic? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that it, it just goes to show that we all feel that when mm. we go in there. We feel that it means a lot to everyone that's a part of it. And I think that's, that's, that's a really nice. beautiful thing. That's a nice thing. Um, what is the dynamic? I just want to go back to the fact that, you know, breaking up with your partner allowed mm. you to do more things from a business, you know, sense. Yeah. Um, what is that relationship like today? It's pretty amazing, actually, and I sort of feel like, um, and I was just talking about that with Sandra, my girlfriend here, um, Sandra. <laughs> that I think I grew up with divorced parents who were very kind and wonderful to each other. Like, we would go on family vacations, and they were, like, you know, very, very, very divorced. But that was <laughs> very. But I, I grew up with that role model of, like, two people can fall out of love and be divorced and be very wonderful to each other because we were their project and common goal and they wanted us to grow up seeing them you as You say people. we. So. My sister. Okay. My sister, yeah. So they wanted us to be, you know, to see that not because they divorced that they didn't like each other. They would laugh together, drink together, take us skiing. Like, they were kind of very cool. So that was my role model and I, I guess I don't see, it's, you know, I was in madly in love with Eric, and basically we fell out of love and became best, best friends and good business partners, but I don't see why we should not be a very strong unit. I mean, we've shared so much together. If anything, like, everything is there. All the elements are there for us to be good business partners. For me, it was easy, actually. So that, was, yeah. like, that wasn't a very difficult period? It was difficult, but it was short-lived difficult, considering how intense it could be. You yeah. know what I mean? The fact that we were all under the same roof, and I mean, and we lived together as split-up people for a long time. <laughs> wow. You even, what I thought was so interesting is that you did not tell your staff for eight months. Yeah. We decided that we had to hide it from them because we were sure that they would all freak out. And which I mean, they, in a way, which I they did, right? They did after, yeah, because they thought, you know, I mean, I think people get very attached to couples, and and especially a couple that owns a business, it's like it's all part of the romantic something or other. And so that if you're not together, then they're like, what's it going to be? Everything's going to fall apart, and oh my god. And we were sort of like, you know, trying to survive it, and we didn't want that pressure of everyone looking at us and being like, oh no, what's going to happen? So we were like, okay, never mind. We don't need to deal with that. We'll just deal mm -hmm. with each other. And then also when we told the staff after the eight months, it was kind of like, and, you know, everything's been great, so there's nothing to worry about, you know? We've been in the worst part of our breakup for the last eight months, and you guys didn't even know. Nobody knew. We were like, high five. Nobody knew. That's incredible. Yeah. We were just seething underneath the surface. No, I'm <laughs> That's a we lot were, of emotions yeah. that you have to keep in check when you're... Yeah, it was a very good... It was a good um, exercise in professionalism. And, Absolutely. You know, just trying to keep your shit together. And, like, the common goal of the goal being the restaurant. And sort of, like, when we would just take the focus off our own little personal drama and be like, this is the thing we created together. This is the thing that needs us. 
you know, our energy goes here. We're going to do this. We still love this mm -hmm. common thing. And we love what we created it together. So it's sort of like always like re, I would say like, brought us back to the focal point every single time. It still does actually. It's interesting. Like, yeah. It's the thing that keeps us sort of like on track. Um, you know, Olive has been around for so long. And, and I think one of the keys to its success is the consistency. It really offers, you know what you're going to get, and it hasn't changed all that much in, in the last 20 years. How do you allow yourself to be creative? How can you encourage your team to be creative when your, your formula is really about offering mm -hmm. something consistent? Mm. I would say that there are, not, there are not that many people who get to be creative at Olive. That's the truth. But when we hire people, we're sort of like, you want to work here because you're going to learn how to work in a, a, a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have incredible skills. You're going to work with great people. You're going to work in a very you know, busy place. You're going to learn about volume. Um, but no, I'm not really interested in learning how to make your grandma's apple pie or whatever. Like It's sort of like, these are the recipes. I'm the creative person. My chef's the creative person. Eric's the creative person. And, you know, and our menu doesn't change very much because it can't, because mm -hmm. I've tried. Oh, yeah. That's another <laughs> story. <laughs> but um, so I'm really honest with people. And I think, interestingly enough, I sort of feel like there is so much to be learned, you know, in the other stuff, too, you know, especially in a restaurant. Like, I think young people sort of want to get in there and they're like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to do my recipes. I want to yeah. And I'm like... Don't, you know, learn how to, what is the expression, learn to walk before you crawl or crawl before you walk yes, or whatever exactly. it is. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, enjoy the fact that you're actually in a place that runs really, really, really mm -hmm. well and try and pick up all the information from that. And then there's plenty of time to go and be your own master of creation. It's very much you know? like a school. Yeah, it's a lot like a school, I would say. Where have some of your, I guess, people from Olive gone on to? Lots of great people from Alif have done amazing things. Um, Chloe from Chocolat de Chloe, uh, Matt Sate Brothers. Oh. Um, I'm drawing crazy blanks now, but uh, there's cabillions of people help me. Well, San from Lupita. Ah! <laughs> Julie from Butterblue. Ah. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> she's so sneaky. <laughs> um, yeah, so good good people have gone on to do all kinds of cool things. Vanessa being the sous chef of Foxy. That's true. Marc Andre, who's like uh, amazing. He does this, he's an incredible baker, but he also has organized this sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, foundation? She knows that's his partner, of like a taste for grain. Yeah, so interesting. I sort of think he could be a person you could invite one day. But anyway, he worked for 14 years with us at Olive. That's amazing. Yeah, people have done lots of cool stuff. Um, when we look at kind of the next generation of, of chefs and entrepreneurs, um, you know, has it been hard for you to pass on that baton or is it something that you're really proud to do? To, you mean when someone goes on to do their own thing? No, I mean, I'm assuming you've taken a little bit of a step back or you're still just as involved as day one. No, I had, I've definitely taken a step back. Opening up Foxy forced me to take a step back take from a step back. Yeah. Yeah, up until the day that I opened Foxy, I was still like the woman at the cash going beep, beep. I mean, it's 
ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't help it. I just was like, mm, you know what I mean? And, and I think in some ways, like, that's okay. That's probably part of what was able to, like, build this this creature that is so strong in a way. Yeah. But um, opening Foxy really forced me. I just understood, like, very quickly that if I didn't step back and learn how to, like, you know, delegate and share myself with everything that I was going to, you know, totally destroy my two businesses. So uh, I've definitely stepped back. My role has changed a lot. And do you feel comfortable in this new role? Yes and no. What's hard for you? Well, I miss, like, I like to be, like, the Cinderella girl. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> what does that mean to you, the, the Cinderella girl? Explain that to well, us. Well, like, I, I will never forget. I was at, it was, like, snowy day, and there was, like, all this rocks and slush at the front of Olive, and I was, like, scratching with a shovel the rocks into a pile, and then vacuuming with a wet, you know, shop vac or whatever, and this guy comes in, and he's like, one day your prince will come. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, my prince has come, actually. I own this joint. There it is. <laughs> this is my wonderful life. But I was, like, loving it. I was, like, <sighs> look at all the rocks and the slush I got. Like, I'm a bit cuckoo that way. But, like, I, I think I just, I like to feel, I feel more useful. I like when I, I feel like I've accomplished something when I, can see the direct results. Like, I think that's why cooking appeals to me. Mm -hmm. Like, cerebral stuff sort of gets me, you know, sometimes I feel like I've done nothing with my day. I've just run around and been like a social worker, putting out fires, listening to little baby lullas, <laughs> you know, whatever, doing all that stuff. And then I think, oh, and that's my day. And I drive home and I think, I did nothing today, you know? But, of but if course, you're using your hands and you feel like you're yeah, really in the Then I can just like it. tell you what I did and I'm really proud and I, yeah, I like that. So I miss that. So there's already been a transition, obviously, with mm. um, the two restaurants. Where do you see yourself going from here? Well, my business partner, he just uh, <laughs> <laughs> is out of control now. If you're listening to me, Eric, on the podcast or whatever, uh, no, he's like... We can relay a message yeah. if you want. He's kind of like... You know, TikTok, and I've got like you know this much energy in me, and I want it. And he's just like on a roll. And so there will be other businesses. Will you be involved in those businesses? Um, depends what they are. Uh, the, he ha he is opening up something that will open up in about a month in a space that we bought a million years ago on De La Commune and Saint Laurent. Oh wow! Yeah, beautiful space, totally beautiful. Tell it's like us half more. Renovated now. Um, if you can, yeah, I can tell you a bit. It's it'll be like a kind of interesting place to have like bites, very Italian style bites, like a very a European style cafe with like aperitivo and coffee and beautiful things. It's a great location for that. Yeah, it'll have a wonderful terrace, and we worked with a designer. And but I have really kept myself at a big distance from it. Yeah, like, I've sort of involved myself in a little way, but they've been very clear That's what his I don't baby. want to do. Yeah, because he's just on, a, on fire. Um, and what do you want to do for you? I don't know. I have to think about that, though. It's a good question. I would like to, I would like to do a cookbook. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I just need some time. But yeah, I want to do a cookbook. That would be something that I would do for myself. That would be fun. And exciting, yeah. Are we talking like the next two years? Yeah, definitely the next two years. Okay. And recipes from Olive or totally different? 
mostly from Alive and then probably other stuff in there too. Mm. Yeah, and stories and things. So obviously we don't, we have some chefs here, but we, we have all kinds of people. What would you give as um, advice to people wanting, wanting to start out a new business? You've had a lot of success, but clearly I think it's, it's incredibly obvious that a lot of hard work and dedication has to go into it. Mm -hmm. um, I would say be patient. Uh, I see a lot of impatience um, in the younger folks of today. Um, everybody wants everything really quickly, and I mean it's partly the world that we live in. Like you know, like everything's fast, the stimulate everything. So everything's so stimulating. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We have everything at our fingertips. You can order something on the telephone. You can you know pull up an image. You can get an answer. Like it's immediate, and I feel like that people want everything really fast, and then they want a business fast, and they want success fast. Um, and I think I think lots of people could have success, but I feel like people are just not patient. Everybody wants to be like a superstar. It's sort yeah. of like, I feel like everyone just like needs to like dial it back a bit and just, you know, plug away. Like I, I really think there's not enough plugging away in things, you know? Like People shovel the slush. Just shovel the slush and see, it's actually kind of fun. It's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> like take pride and, you know, just get to know yourself too. I think people rush and rush and rush and rush and they don't even have like a, a clear sense of, of who they are, what they want to do, what they believe in. They're just like, you know, and it's all, it's all about how things look as opposed to, you know, what really is real. So I, I find like, I would say that like slow down. I would tell people to get very, tap into their patient being. Mm -hmm. Yoga. <laughs> There's two yoga teachers here. Amazing Please leave us your cards. Teachers. Yeah, they're incredible. Diane, thank you so much for being so candid with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> Join us next time for another intimate alcove talk in person or right here. For more info, follow us on alcovemoments.com. Merci d'avoir été des nôtres dans cette micro-conférence nomade Alcove. Joignez-vous à nous pour la prochaine conférence. Visitez alcovemoments.com pour tous les détails.